Hi, welcome to Nutra Champion, a podcast series where we speak with experts specializing in nutrition research, including scientists, doctors, and policy makers. Here, we will find out more about their research journey, their career, and even some personal life lessons. I'm Ting Ming, the editor of Nutra Ingredients Asia and your host for this podcast. You can listen to our past episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Our guest today is Jeremy Lin, co-founder and CEO of EMILY. EMILY, which is based in Singapore, stands for Asia Microbiome Library. Founded four years ago in 2019, it is said to be the first microbiome bank and reference library in Southeast Asia, developed using stool samples donated by the volunteers. And today it offers a range of products and services, including the personalized nutrition program, bio and meat tests, as well as pre and probiotics under the consumer brand bio and meat. And prior to Emily, Jeremy, who is a preventive medicine and public health specialist, he was the founding partner of the global consultancy Oliver Weinman's Asia Health and Life Science Practice. So hi, Jeremy, thank you for joining me on this Nutra Champion podcast in this in your office at Science Park. So for, for a start, right, uh, maybe you can tell us um, how did the opportunity in setting up Emily come about? Yes. Well, firstly, thank you for the opportunity to come and share some thoughts. Um, we founded Emily back in September 2019. And as you had mentioned in your introduction, Emily is a, is a compression of three words, Asia Microbiome Library. And notice I used the word Asia rather than Asian. And the reason why we set up Emily was because it was well known by 2019 that the microbiome is as what Dr. Jonathan Kinross describes, uh, and he's a professor from the Imperial College London, uh, from the Imperial College London, as the most important scientific discovery for human healthcare in recent decades. So we know the microbiome is pivotally important to not just gut health, but to all aspects, including brain health, immune function, metabolism. However, we also know that the microbiome is very, very closely driven by diet, lifestyle, and the environment rather than genetic factors. In fact, it is estimated that the influence of diet, lifestyle, the environment is at least 10 times more important than an individual's genes. And the implication of this is that the great science that's being done in North America and in Europe is done on vastly different populations with very different diets, very different lifestyles, temperate countries. And we cannot assume that these insights can be translated wholesale into findings for us living in tropical, multi-ethnic Asia. So the genesis for Emily was really the scientific imperative we as a group of university professors from the National University of Singapore saw it was so important that Asia, we in Asia needed to do our own research, make our own discoveries to benefit our own populations in this part of the world. True, there's a lot of um, discussion going around how important it is for the, um, you know, for the research and for the probiotics that's been developed to be localized. 
Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that. So, um, and you know, before uh, setting up Emily, right, you have experience in you know public health sector. And could you share why are you interested in in this area? How do you get into yes. gut microbiome research? Well, I was brought into the microbiome space by my co-founders, David. Ong and Jonathan Lee, they are prominent gastroenterologists who back in 2014, when they were in the National University Hospital, led the first series of microbiome transplants in this part of the world. Right? And it was very clear that once upon a time, Singapore was pioneering in this space. But unfortunately, if we look at the number of clinical studies that are going on, the amount of research in the last decade, Singapore had sad to say, fallen back compared to North America and Europe. And so, as, as my now co-founders David and Jonathan shared with me the excitement of the microbiome and how important it is, right? we collectively decided that we had to do this, right? not for any other purpose than to drive the science, the local and regional science, and that's really how I came into Emily and into the microbiome space. I'll be very upfront. I'm not a microbiome scientist. My own training was in surgery as well as in preventative medicine. The microbiome is a relatively new concept to me. I've only been immersed for probably the last five years. Um, but my co-founders are very deeply steeped in this. Um, Dr. David Ong is probably one of the leading practitioners in microbiome applications in clinical care. And I know Dr. Jonathan Ong is, to the best of my knowledge, one of the few, if not the only uh, clinician scientist who has undertaken formal training in the microbiome. In fact, Jonathan spent a number of years at the Broad Institute in Boston. The Broad Institute is a partnership between MIT and Harvard Medical School. Right, to essentially establish the, the linchpin or one of the central pillars of genetic research, not just in the US, but around the world. So I've been very privileged to support the good science and the clinical applications of of my co-founders who are outstanding clinicians as well as scientists. Mm, I see. So it's very much about um, hoping to revive, <clears throat> to revive the microbiome um, research scene in Singapore. Um, I would say if we trace the longer arc of, of history, microbiome science was really well known amongst the ancient Chinese practitioners. In fact, a um, uh, small interesting factoid, but the first microbiome transplants documented were, were probably done in ancient China over a thousand years ago. And what the ancient Chinese recognised was that we are not alone and that while there was no understanding of, of microbes or anything like that, um, the ancient Chinese knew that health could be passed from a healthy person to a less healthy person through their microbes, which, which are harvested through our, uh, through, our, through our stool or through our poop. I think this is the first time that I heard of this, you know, the history. Uh, it can go as far back as ancient Chinese, yes. uh, China. Yeah. So it's it's really it is an Asian Renaissance, right? And if we look at a lot of Eastern medical traditions, we have had such a long and illustrious heritage of recognizing food as medicine, right? It was not just Hippocrates who said that 
all disease begins in the gut. There is an ancient Islamic saying that really echoes this, that sickness begins in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And so, our, our forefathers were much wiser than us. We are rediscovering these ancient wisdoms that the food we eat impacts tremendously on our health. And today, the science of computing, the science of sequencing, allows us to understand the mechanisms. So what our forefathers instinctively or intuitively understood, we can now put mechanistic pathways. We can frame these in scientific language, in well, in the nomenclature around microbes, around metabolites that the Western world, that modern science can now understand why our ancient wisdoms were indeed so profound. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, uh, and as for Emily, right, there has been some plans that's laid out and uh, which one of which, right, is to collect 10,000 unique stool samples by the end of 2022, which was last year. Yes. So, may I know how, how is the progress? Has the company achieved the, the, the target? Yes, uh, we have been very, very well supported by the general public, right? Um, I must say that when we started in 20, at the end of 2019, uh, and we raced like everybody else right into COVID, right? Uh, but the pandemic was, in a sense, very helpful to us because it reignited that spark of altruism amongst the general population and how people wanted to be helpful to do the right thing. And when we launched our own microbiome donor program, where we when we announced through various features in the Straits Times and in other and in other publications that we were setting out to build the world's largest multi-ethnic Asia database, um, people stepped forward with a lot of willingness, with a lot of um, understanding that if we in this part of the world did not do it, no one else would. Mm-hmm. Right, and so we were very privileged that we have strong support from not just the general public but from research institutions, from hospitals. We've been able to build the world's largest multi-ethnic Asia database, and this is the foundation um, upon which we then develop other applications like gut microbiome sequencing because we have the right reference database. We also have created five formulations of pre and pre and probiotics, which are essentially specific to this part of the world, to multi-ethnic Asia. And something that we started along the way was also a division that we call Food for Health, right? where we, where we study foods, we work with companies, we work with uh, healthcare providers to study the effects of food on human health. And the microbiome or the 100 trillion microbes that live inside our gut provide us a very useful um, pathway or portal to understand how the foods affect us and affect our human health. Mm-hmm. Would it translate into any uh, finished products for that? Well, the short answer is is yes. Uh, I can speak about uh, one of them publicly. Right, uh, many of the others are commercially sensitive, so I'm not at liberty to speak about them. But uh, I can share. The work that we did with a vertical farm that's called Sustainer, and in partnership with the Singapore Institute of Technology, we worked on kale stalks. 
right? Entail, as we know, is a superfood. Right? It's very rich in a lot of the good stuff for, for individuals. However, what we also noticed was that the kale stocks were very fibrous and people were not that enthusiastic about eating these, right? But our very clever colleagues in the SIT worked with us, figured out a way to powderize these, these kale stocks uh, so that they would be easier to use. And in our subsequent studies, we found that the kills, that this kill powder is really a superfood for our gut microbes and help lactobacillus to grow multiple times faster than a standard solution. So if we, if we take a step back, every time we eat, we feed not just ourselves, but we feed the 100 trillion microbes, which are collectively almost two kilograms in weight, right? We feed these 100 trillion microbes also. And whether we feed them good things or bad things will then impact us because all these microbes produce metabolites, right? These molecules that then cross the gut lining enter into our bloodstream. For example, many of us would be familiar with the neurotransmitter serotonin. What many people may be less aware of is that serotonin is primarily produced in the gut. And it then crosses the gut lining to exert its effect on our brain. So when people talk about, I've got a gut feeling, my gut tells me, it's actually it's much more correct than what we give license to. Mm -hmm. right? And so for us, by looking at kill in this instance, we have identified a, 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 a particular species and a particular format that is very beneficial for our gut health. And now that it's in powder form, we're exploring applications in pre and probiotic supplements. Um, kill can be a sprinkle over foods. It can be added to, to all sorts of other uh, foods because in a, in a powder form, there's a lot of versatility. Mm -hmm. So how many foods are you studying? Uh, we are now studying about between half to a dozen foods. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are a bit more public, some of them are commercially sensitive, but I would just say that we are very privileged to work with some of the leading agricultural players in this part of the world because the world has changed. People, the food, people don't just want food. People want healthier for you, better for you food, right? And producers, retailers want to fulfill this this need, but the market is very noisy, right? Lots of people, lots of produce manufacturers will, or many retailers will say that my food is good for you and many so on. So there's a lot of buyer beware because the really regulatory uh, standards across different geographies in this part of the world, it can vary tremendously. So for, so for manufacturers, for growers, it's important to have independent validation through very good science. And so we as Emily have been very privileged to work with many of these parties to analyze their foods, see the health benefits and work with them on subsequent generations of these to improve the health benefits of the foods that they produce. Mm, indeed, indeed. So it's like a 
working with the community and forming an ecosystem, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. And I think that this, on a more personal note, marries my passion for public health with the microbiome because not everybody needs to take medicine and most people don't want to take medicine. But we all need to eat, we all want to eat and how then do we make sure that the food we eat are the right ones for us, right? And at the general level, it is well known that in the developed world, uh, more than 90% of us don't have enough fiber in our diet because a lot of food processing takes out the fiber, takes out the good stuff. And because until fairly recently, the last 20 odd years, we did not appreciate how important the microbiome was. Mm -hmm. And therefore, a lot of the, the food producing um, processes stripped away the fiber, stripped away a lot of the things that were very beneficial to the microbes. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is to figure out how to work with industry, work with the ecosystem to restore the health benefits of food. Indeed. So can you tell us more about the major research and also the product launch plans for your company this year? Yes. For this year, uh, we have been expanding our own research interest. For the last three years, we have prioritized building up the database, understanding what a healthy individual living in multi-ethnic Asia looks like from a microbiome, from a, from a diet and really so on profile. And because of our own genesis out of gastroenterology, a lot of our research has focused on gastrointestinal disease. So we have a big study with the National Cancer Center that's on liver cancer and the risk factors for liver cancer. We also do work with various institutions around Singapore in gastrointestinal diseases such as inflammatory bowel disease, such as irritable bowel syndrome and also colon cancer, right? But now that we are a little bit older, a little bit bigger, we are now expanding our own research interest into other fields. I had mentioned earlier that the microbiome is very intimately linked to immunity, right? And immunity cuts across, right? So many things, the uh, risk of infection with COVID, risk of severity of COVID. So the immune axis with the microbiome is something that we're intently studying uh, in young children to see who develops allergies and who doesn't and so on. And this is a big study with the, with the National Children's Hospital, the KK Women's and, and Children's Hospital. We also are starting work with a number of uh, cancer care specialist groups in uh, Singapore to look at the immune system and the microbiome in patients who are undergoing cancer therapy. Because a lot of cancer care today is about immunotherapy and about using the body's immune system to fight off more effectively the cancer cells. Then the question is, can we prime the immune system? Can we, by eating the right foods, the right supplements, get the immune system to its optimal state of readiness to take on these cancer cells, right? And I used to practice surgery. And in the old days, we would look at patients and decide whether the patient was fit for surgery. Or we'll look and say, well, uh, Mr. Wong, you are too skinny, right? The surgery will be very dangerous for you, or you are still smoking. Uh, 
we need to optimize you, stop smoking for four to six weeks if the surgery can meet. Uh, we tell the patients to put on more weight, have a high protein diet so that their risk of surgical complications becomes lower, the surgery is more effective. And what we're trying to do is to take this thinking into, into oncology, into cancer care. How do we get the patient at the optimal level to start therapy? So it's like an adjunctive yes. kind of a treatment, yes. right? And um, that's for the cancer patients who require a, a, a better strengthening of their immune system. And for the kids, it's also the same kind of Every cancer patient would, would benefit from an optimized immune system because cancer is a dreadful disease and the therapy can be a major physiological insult to the body. So the stronger our state of health in metabolism, in really immunity, the better the treatment will be and the less severe the side effects will be. Right. And in and in children, if we look at allergies, we look at the autoimmune diseases, at its core, what's happened is that our body's immune function, uh, the, our body's immune system is not working the way that it should be working. Mm -hmm. Right. It is overactive uh, in autoimmune diseases um, like lupus or well, inflammatory bowel disease or alopecia areata, which causes your hair to drop out. Um, and, in, and in allergies, the body exerts a disproportionate immune response to a foreign body, to a foreign food substance like peanuts, like shellfish and so on. Mm, so it means that there will be uh, clinical trials conducted? Or uh, yes, certainly we are, we are laying the foundation. We are validating a lot of the science that's been going on around the world. And the way that microbiome science typically progresses is that we would study uh, patients with and without a specific disease, or we would study the same group of patients before and after. And when we notice that there are microbiome changes in the group that has a disease and those that don't, or those that respond well to a treatment and those that don't, this then gives us uh, potential areas of intervention. We then do further work, which may include animal studies, right, to test the hypothesis that certain microbes affect the, the body's response, whether you're a good responder, whether you're a bad responder, or, or the body's risk for a certain disease. And after that, we then progress into human studies. Mm, yeah, so, so, so there's a fairly uh, well, there is a fairly well-traveled path on how to bring microbiome science from observation into clinical application. Mm, okay, okay. I'm just curious as to yes. like, um, you know, the study design for the clinical trial, uh, has it been um, laid out already or it's um, still in, a, a, it's in, in the midst of like earlier upstream studies? So, uh, we're doing a combination of all of the above in different groups. So we do have uh, observational studies like the liver cancer study I had mentioned earlier. We have intervention studies also where we adjust uh, healthy subjects' um, diets through giving particular foods, particular types of supplements, and we see the effects on their, on their well-being. 
both subjective, how they feel, as well as objective changes in their metabolites, changes in their microbiome profiles. Mm, okay, I see, I see. And these strains, right, are they like from the company's um, products or? It is a combination, right? There are some where we use uh, commercial strains that are, uh, that are available and the magic comes in the data science because, and your listeners will be familiar that commercially there are strain libraries that run in the hundreds, right? The, the scientific challenge then is out of a couple of hundred options, which ones do you pick and in what proportions? Actually, you have 10 billion colony forming units of A versus 7 of B and that's where the, the data science comes in very, 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 very usefully. Um, it's computationally complex, but certainly worth doing because we can then be much more tailored, much more precise. Mm. Because uh, uh, I think that the word probiotics is a very misused word and when people say that they are probiotics, it's, it's as generic as saying that I'm taking medicine. Like it really depends on what sort of medicines that you're, that you're taking. Is the medicine that you're taking suitable for the disease that you have? In the same way, there are probiotics and there are probiotics. Are you taking the right strains in the right proportions for the health goal that you're trying to achieve? Whether it's to sleep better, whether it's to have a stronger immune system, it doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is that this is 2023. We should no longer be generic, one size fits all. We should strive to be more and more precise, more and more personalized. Mm, indeed, indeed. Okay. And then um, could you share, like, you know, looking back for the past coming to four years, right? Mm -hmm. What would you say are the benefits and challenges in starting out a biotech, a life science firm in Singapore or even the Southeast Asia region in general? It's a good question that forces me to reflect. I would say COVID and the pandemic have been very difficult for everybody, uh, biotech startups included. We have been very fortunate that our backers remain very, very supportive. Um, and as I look back on the, on the journey over the last three and a half years, I think a couple of key insights. Uh, number one, um, there are a thousand and one easier things to do. So unless you and your team are fully committed to this, and the commitment cannot be about money, there are easier ways to earn money. It has to be about impact. It has to be about something bigger than yourself or just your, or just your team. Uh, secondly, mm, it takes a village, all right? Uh, it sounds very trite, but to be successful, the entire ecosystem needs to be in alignment. And for us, when we first started, there were many scientific agencies that were very skeptical about microbiome science. But thankfully, in the last four years, the science has just exploded. And today, all three medical schools in Singapore have their own microbiome program. So that's how much the, the validation, the legitimacy of, of the science has really taken off in these short four years. Uh, the third insight is that really, um, as, a, as a pioneer in this field, we not only have to do our own work, we have to pay attention to community building. And that's why we as Emily earlier this year started our open house series, 
because many of our customers, many of the lay public are interested to know what exactly is the microbiome, how do I choose the right type of supplement, the pre and probiotics for me, um, what sort of food should I eat? Because it's so common, uh, you and your best friend may eat the same meal, you put on weight and your best friend looks like he or she will be forever skinny and that's really driven by differences in your microbiome. So how then do you eat the right sorts of foods for your microbiome profile? Right? And I think that these questions go on and on. And, and we decided that as the pioneer in this field, we have to build community. So we are supporting, it despite our very modest resources, we are supporting the open houses, we are supporting uh, events at the, at the Science Centre and so on to raise the awareness. Mm, I see. Okay, okay. And, does, uh, and moving to the next question, right? I think it's also linked. What do you think is required for entrepreneurs in this region to succeed in the life science and biotech startup space? You know, like in other parts of the world, like maybe Australia within APEC, they might be more advanced in a sense. And how about this region? I think there's no formula for success. There are ingredients that you have to assemble in your own unique way. I think um, the ingredients that would be well-known would be solving the right problem because you must have an issue that people care about enough. Right? Secondly is timing because if you are too early for the party, uh, you can do great science, you can have a great innovation, but the market is not ready. Right? And then you run out of cash and it's game over. Right? The third ingredient would be the team, a very well-balanced team. And I wouldn't shortchange us living in Asia, even in Southeast Asia. I think that the talent base here is phenomenal, right? Uh, but you have to look hard because there is, there is incredible talent, but this talent is highly sought after by everybody. So we, we and everyone else who wants to recruit these top talents will have to be attractive. We must have a mission that is meaningful. We must be a great place to work. And in fairness, people do need to earn a living. So we do need to pay fairly, mm. right? Uh, and I would say that really government support is important, right? Um, Asia doesn't have the sort of mature ecosystem that say Silicon Valley has. It has a lot of venture capital money. It's got a fairly permissive regulatory framework. It's got an abundance of entrepreneurs and, and the, and the public that is, that is innovation minded, keen to try new things, right? So that's where governments come in to help to create the ecosystem. There are some ingredients that individuals and startups need to bring to the kitchen, there are some ingredients that governments should do their best to provide. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. I'm just wondering, like, you know, right now at the moment, a lot of activities for the companies like within Singapore, are there plans to partner with uh, other industry players from outside no. of Singapore? We're actually not only in Singapore. Um, we, we currently partner and serve customers in not just Singapore, but also Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, uh, and soon to be Hong Kong. So we're expanding very rapidly. We have research partnerships as far as India, 
right? And we're intending to start one in in Australia soon enough. So I would say that the microbiome to sum up is locally driven by diet, lifestyle, and the environment. But the science, the techniques, the insights are best done globally. Yeah, indeed. Because um, you know, different uh, different parts of the world, they have different expertise when yes, it comes to technology, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, I think that sums up the the interview today. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Not at all. Yeah. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to Neutral Champion on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can also head to NutriIngredients-Asia.com for more content and news on the nutrition industry.